Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to talk about the trustee of a trust. Right, It's quite a complex set of facts, but don't worry, we've got some go-karts in there to keep people having fun. Today we're talking about the national body dealing with go-karts and a state body dealing with go-karts and the interactions they have. Go-karts, I had to Google this, they're your sort of reduced size racing cars that sort of race around racetracks. People race them, people like it, that's good, good on them. Have fun in your race cars, uh, your go-karts. <laughs> and the nature of the relationship was that our state-based entity would operate races that would often have the blessing of the national body. And so the state-based body might say, hey, race number one, the March race, is accredited by the national go-kart body. And so if the March race was accredited by that body, then the state body would collect levies from drivers, collect, collect some money. That money would be paid from the state body onto the national body. Now, each of these state bodies were shareholders or members of the national body, and the national body uh, would then go and administer the sport nationally, the motorsport. Things bubbled along okay for a period. Now, the way that the national body worked, firstly, the predecessor to the national body we're talking about in this case was a trust, and where we talk about the directors of the company that operates the trust, uh, previously we were talking about the management committee of an unincorporated association. If that all sounded like gobbledygook, that's fine. You can just ignore it for the moment and indeed for the purposes of this note. So we're dealing with the national body who is also a trustee. Now what happens is, over time, this trustee records the levies paid from the state bodies into its accounts and over time, each of those levies is recorded against the state account. State one pays X dollars, and so the state one account is recorded as holding X dollars. Next year, state one, state one pays Y dollars, and so there's now X dollars plus Y dollars in state one's account. Similarly, state two, A dollars year one, B dollars year two, etc. And what happens on the accounts is that each year, the trust funds, the assets of the trust, are recorded as one dollar. So let's just have that clear in our head. Um, the assets, or I withdraw that, the levies that are paid from our state bodies into our trust are not recorded as assets of the trust because the trust is continuously recorded for accounting purposes as having $1 worth of assets. Now, um, the way things are supposed to work, and that's a clue that there's a dispute coming, is that what happens is the trustee will loan an amount from the funds it holds on trust over to the relevant state body. And so that will enable the state body to build a track. And the advantage of having a loan is firstly that the loan will be interest-free unless there is an act of default, in which case, bang, the interest terms come and apply. And so essentially that's supposed to incentivize the state body and the national body being on nice friendly terms. And for so long as those terms stay friendly, we're not gonna charge, you know, the national body's not gonna charge any interest for those loans. You can imagine where we're going is that the relevant state body has a bit of a breakdown in the relationship with the national body and ends up leaving as a member of the national body. Now that is, click the fingers, an act of default. That's a default moment. And what that means is the loan made by the national body to the state body then becomes payable in full plus interest. So what happens for our purposes today is that our national body sues the state body for that loan. 
Now, interestingly, the state body then cross claims against the national body for what it says were distributions made to it that had not yet been paid to it. What does that mean? Do you remember the levies paid from the state body over to the national body? And do you remember how those levies are recorded in accounts for state one, state two, state three, state four? Well, what happens at first instance in the Supreme Court of New South Wales is national body sues for the loan and then state body counter sues for saying, well, you're holding all our money anyway. All of those are trust distributions that you're holding for us that you got to now pay to us. First instance, the primary judge says, yes, state body, that's right. The national body is holding those funds, which are yours, and you are not obliged to repay that loan. And the national body, who will now refer to as the appellant, comes to the Court of Appeal and appeals that decision. Now, what the national body attempts to argue is a number of different things. The national body attempts to say, look, this is a contingent liability. This is a liability. These, these loan accounts are recorded as loan accounts, but they're contingent. They're relying on some external factor happening. And that external factor is the trust vesting coming to the end of its life. And for so long as the trust has not vested, then we as the national body are not obliged to pay these funds. They are not a present liability, they're contingent. And the fact they are contingent upon has not arisen. And so we don't have to pay them. Now, um, that was an argument the Court of Appeal had some difficulty with. Uh, and the reason the Court of Appeal had difficulty with that argument is firstly, the accounts that had been ticked off by an auditor, uh, previously ticked off by the management committee of the trust that was the predecessor to the national body, and then subsequently ticked off by the board of directors of the present national body we're talking about, included a notation that said, there are no contingent liabilities of the company. So firstly, um, the national body failed to convince the Court of Appeal that that was wrong. Another challenge they faced was that the national body failed to raise an argument based on what's called conventional estoppel. And we can get into estoppel by convention another time. But essentially, um, what convention by estoppel relates to is someone being prevented from departing from their existing course of conduct over time. So there's no argument raised at first instance about this. And so the Court of Appeal says, well, because it wasn't raised in the Supreme Court, you can't now raise it in the Court of Appeal. Now, uh, another uh, argument raised by the national body was essentially these loan accounts aren't really loan accounts. They're just notations of what gets paid to each body on the vesting of the trust. We're keeping a running tally, so we know what we've got to pay when the trust winds up. Now, the court did not accept that argument either uh, because that was not the basis upon which they were recorded. And the court found that for a number of reasons. Firstly, the nature of the auditing and the rigour applied uh, over years and years and years. Secondly, the $1 trust assets point that you might remember referring to. So there's no suggestion that the assets of the trust are increasing and there's no suggestion that these are anything other than funds held on bare trust, B-A-R-E, trust for each of the beneficiaries. And so that means there's nothing standing in the way of the beneficiaries, including the state body here, who is the respondent to the appeal proceedings, clawing that money back. So what that means is the appellant, our national body, loses in saying this is a loan that you've got to repay and loses in trying to resist the state body clawing that money back. A disappointing outcome, perhaps, for our national body, but I hope that quick tour assisted you in understanding uh, the relevant facts, the relevant law, and look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee and another case note. Cheers. Thank you.